0: All right, you guys know I talk about peptides a lot, although I am by no means an expert. I'm just geeked out on them. And then I found Natalie Nidham. I joined her Facebook group. I listened to her podcast. I was like, this woman gets it. She gets peptides. So I'm going to tell you about her first, and we are going to deep dive into peptides today because... Listen, I I can't speak to peptides. I can speak to my own experience. I know a little bit about what they do, but I brought you guys the expert. All right, so Nat Ninam is a holistic nutritionist, a human potential coach, an epigenetic coach who is immersed in the world of health optimization and longevity. A few years ago, kind of like me with peptides, she stumbled upon peptides at a health optimization conference and has been immersed in the study of these as health optimization and longevity tools ever since, because they have such just a key place in longevity in biohacking. And quite honestly, in my opinion, peptides are going to play a role in the future of our overall health really taking the place of drugs if that's even allowed by our fda but i won't go down that rabbit hole natalie runs a large and growing biohacking community on facebook i'm telling you guys to go join that's how i connected with her the optimizing superhuman performance group and she's the host of the biohacking superhuman performance podcast and she works one-on-one with clients so just as of today Natalie's biological age is a full nine years younger than her chronological age with telomeres matching someone 23 years younger. I just, I'm going to do that test soon. Her goal is to keep that clock moving back and make sure that people learn that this is possible for them if they're willing to take charge of their health. Are you finally at your wits end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Like You don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me. I am so pumped for today. You have no idea. (laughs)
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I mean, you know, it's funny. We had such a good time recording your episode for my podcast. I'm like, I can't wait to talk to Amy again. But one correction is my biological age, actually, it's 14 years younger. Can you believe it? Like, I was just like, oh, my God, this is so exciting. So it's crazy. So
0: everything you're doing is working because when you wrote your bio, it was nine. Now you've pushed it back even further.
1: Well, no, I. what actually happened is the testing company that I used, which is True Diagnostic, Yeah, Um, they they rejigged their algorithm. And so they did it working with I'm forgetting her name, but she just wrote a book or she she released a book not that long ago. If I was in my office, I have the book on my desk. Anyway, I can't remember the name of the book, but um, so they they they've readjusted, recalibrated their algorithms. And most people got older and somehow I got younger.
0: Nice. I'll
1: take it. (laughs) I'm Like, bring it. That's way better. So and we know that, you know, the target is to try and be seven years younger than your than your chronological age. And right. that's where I think it was Dr. Hahnemann who determined that at seven years younger, you have 50% lower chance of dying of all-cause mortality, whereas at 70 uh, than your age group, whereas at seven years older, it's an increase 50% increase of dying of all cause mortality, you know, whatever it is versus your age group.
0: So Definitely do what we can to push that back. Yeah, I'm going to do that test too. I'm really curious as to to where I land and then implement additional, Mm -hmm. like like additional peptides. Like I have Livagen in my fridge. I haven't implemented yet. Implement those different bioregulators and peptides, then retest and see what happens. Exactly. I mean, you know, on the DNA methylation front, and then we're kind of
1: jumping ahead here, but on the DNA methylation front, I would say that you're looking at a solid 12 to 18 months to to change that Horvath clock. Okay. Probably like 12 to 14, let's say. Whereas with, they've now released a couple of different age measurement tests. Like there's a PACE Dunedin test mm-hmm. that i are saying can be, and that's your pace of aging. And that can be, that can be kind of influenced in as little as three months. It's okay. like the age test as well. That's another one that can be highly influenced within three months. And that one is very influenced by lifestyle factors, by diet, sleep, alcohol consumption, like all of those things. So, you know, it's interesting on this biological age testing world right now that we're in, that there's a ton of different tests out there. Most of them are relatively, you know, they're relatively affordable based on what's been available over the last number of years. They're all measuring something a little bit different though. So this idea of biological age, I think what's important for people to understand is there's many different measures of it. There's not one thing right now that can pin an age on anybody. So we wanna kind of look at all of these different factors so that we can come to an idea of how's our lifestyle working for us? How's our supplementation working for us? Do we need to make some sweeping changes? Like, you know, some people who, like, I have two clients that are, you know, they came to me, they were fairly heavy drinkers. They Mm -hmm. cut back on their alcohol before they came to me to a point. And we just did their biological age test. And, you know, they both showed up significantly older than their age, and they're relatively young. So, you know, the message to them is, you know what, you've, you've done great, you've, you've pulled back a lot. If you really want to reverse, Versus that trend right now, you may have to go 100 for a little while, and then you can maybe reintroduce a couple of drinks a week and see how you do. Or we can. The other alternative is let's see what other levers we can push. Yeah. And, right. Um, but I think in their case, they actually both carry the one one four allele on their ApoE, mm-hmm. uh, marked genetically, which puts them at a much higher risk for neurodegenerative diseases and cardiovascular disease down the road. So, you know, in their case, there's an argument that says maybe getting into something other than booze might be more beneficial for them. So, might you know, so, so I think what's important to, to think about here, and, and maybe this is a good way to start the podcast, is that peptides are great, biological age testing is great, but it's always going to be many different pieces of the puzzle that are con- going to contribute to
0: your success or getting to your goals. Absolutely. One little sliver. I always say both and for everything. So, whether it's exactly, you know, we're fixing thyroid and hormones, and you have to eat well and you have to sleep and you have to. So, peptides is just in that one of those categories that can kind of slide in. And yes, peptides are amazing. We're going to talk about them, but you have to be doing everything, just like you said.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And exactly. And the thyroid piece and the hormone piece, like it's so important, right? So, so. You know, you're giving, let's say you're, you know, you're trying to give the body a signal to do more and be more. And meanwhile, your thyroid's like dying the death of a thousand because your adrenals are pooched and, and you're, you know, and your nutrients aren't there and the whole nine yards and your body's like, I'm crying,
0: I can't do it. I don't have the machinery for it. Right. Exactly. Well, now that we've teased people, what are, what are peptides? Let's just start there. What are peptides?
1: Yeah. So peptides are small, really a peptide is a small protein in the, in the simplest sense of the word, a peptide is defined as a protein that is 50 amino acids or fewer in length. And so a protein can be hundreds of amino acids in length. They can be super long. What it is about proteins in our body is they're folded in a certain way that exposes different binding sites that will bind to receptors in the body. Peptides aren't that different. They're just small proteins and, you know, we'll talk today briefly about two categories of peptides. We've got our classic, pe- well, I would call them classic peptides now, but you know, that is if everybody knows about them, but your, right. your alpha soup peptides is what I've been calling them lately. So your bpc 17 your thymus and beta-4, your thymus and alpha-1, your GHK, like all of those peptides are in one category. And then we have the bioregulator peptides, and those are the teeniest of the peptides. Those are only two to four amino acids in length, and those really work by influencing genetic expression, very specifically in tissues, glands, and organs. The peptides, some of those peptides, they also affect gene expression, but not in the same way and not to the same degree. I mean, in, in in a different way, but the but bio regulators literally get into the nucleus of the cell. They bind to the to the DNA and they upregulate the production of proteins. They influ- They basically turn the production of proteins on at a genetic level in a very specific tissue, gland, and organ. So the the literature that you'll read and some of the some of the work that's being done will say that what you're doing is you're bringing back balance to the body. So for example, you know, to talk about the thyroid which you talk about a lot is well, which is your area, your your zone of genius, let's call it, where you're an expert, you can use the thyroid bioregulator with someone who's either hypo or hyperthyroid. The bioregulator's effect is to restore homeostasis,
0: not to boost and not to suppress. Love it. Okay. Now well so when you're talking about peptides the the first class yeah so they're not necessarily changing our they're they're not producing an epigenetic response they're not changing our dna expression they're just working inside the body to do something whether it's increase immunity decrease inflammation help out with a joint whatever that is help with your skin but the bioregulators those are the ones that are changing how that let's take the thyroid, how that thyroid gland is actually working, is actually producing hormone, correct?
1: Well, sort of. So I you know, so what's interesting about I used to say that that the bioregulators affect gene expression and the peptides work on receptors. There okay. are actually peptides that work on gene expression. So if you look at, for example, GHKCU, which is a three amino acid peptide. So in some ways you would say, Well, why isn't it a bioregulator? And I don't know if it's because it was discovered by someone other than the guy that discovered all the bioregulators, or if it's just that it's a different class. I mean, I don't have the answer for that for you, but Mm -hmm. I can tell you that GHK, we know, affects the expression of something like 500 or a thousand genes in the body. And it seems to reset genes. It's almost like restoring factory settings Mm -hmm. (laughs) In, in a way. And it seems to reset all these genes to where they need to be. And, and GHK is best known for skin. right? So people think of it for skin, but it turns out that it has nervous system and cognitive benefits. And it has benefits for wound healing and for how we form scar tissue. And every time I go onto PubMed and I type in GHK, I find something new. Yeah. You know, it is, yeah. it is really remarkable. So with the, going back to the thyroid bioregulator, what it's going it, to... You know, I think what the way we want to think about it is, it almost restores the infrastructure of the gland, and then you need the nutrients. You need the right, like you need the iodine. You need the selenium. You need you need to have the right diet. You need to not be driving your immune system to attack your thyroid gland. You not you know like you need doing all the other things around
0: it that enable the thyroid to do what it's doing. Okay. That makes sense. That makes total sense. Again, it's, it's the, it's the whole thing. Just so you can't take thyroid medication and live an insane lifestyle full of alcohol, no sleep and stress. You also can't take a bioregular. What is the thyroid bioregular? I haven't tried it yet.
1: So it's, in, so one thing about bioregulators to know is that nomenclature in bioregulators is a nightmare. It is, um, <laughs> and,
0: and peptides. Those are also a nightmare. Yeah.
1: So peptides are a nightmare because they're like symbols. And then bioregulators are a nightmare because they've got, each each bioregulator has like at least three names. And it depends if it's the synthetic bioregulator or the biologic bioregulator. And then there's trademark names for bioregulators. So it's kind of all over the map. The easiest name to remember for the thyroid bioregulator is thyrogen. And that is the name for the synthetic version of of the bioregulators. So let me explain to you a little bit about the synthetic versus the biologic versions of bioregulators, just so we kind of back it up a little bit. Yep. Every bioregulator was isolated originally from a tissue of an animal, of animals. So the we can take bioregulators in oral capsules and those though what's in that capsule is essentially an extract that's been highly refined and processed from let's say the thyroid of young calves. So what you're gonna get in there, and and I mean, you're gonna totally get this because what you're gonna get in there, you're gonna get that amino acid sequence that is the money shot for the thyroid bioregulator, but you're also gonna get a lot of cofactors, right? So there's an argument that says that to take the biologic bioregulator is in some ways more restorative and overall to to the gland It'll take a little longer to do its work, but the work may, but the benefits may be longer lasting. Whereas the synthetic version, which is just that amino acid sequence that been, that's been isolated and reproduced in a lab, is going to be much faster acting. But the benefits may not be as long lasting. Okay. That makes sense.
0: No, that makes sense. And I heard you with a guest on your podcast talking about the, I believe it was the thyroid bioregulators where he stated that those with autoimmune conditions, which a lot of my listeners have because they have Hashimoto's, should actually lean toward the synthetic instead of the... Yeah, especially at first. Yeah, especially
1: initially because there's just less to react to.
0: Yeah, okay, Like. okay
1: in in the oral bioregulator if nothing else i mean that you've got the fillers you've got the you, like you've got the stuff that they put into the capsules to make them work and and with the and i guess with the cofactors maybe there's just more proteins and stuff for people to react to so they have found in and this came i think this was the interview i did with Phil Mikens, who had literally mm-hmm. gotten it from the institute of Of biogerontology and bioregulation in Russia that, you know, in their practice, what they do is with people with a lot of autoimmune issues, they
0: do tend to start them on the synthetic bioregulators. So, okay. No, that would make sense. That would make sense because autoimmune patients are just, they're just more sensitive in general. I mean, you give them generic T4 and they're freaking out and, and you know, just really sensitive and reacting to the fillers that are in it. So that, that completely makes sense. So some of the things people need to know about bioregulators
1: is they take time, right? Like think about what you're doing here. Generally they take time, right? Mm -hmm. Think about what you're doing here. You're kind of like restoring function. It takes, it's going to take some time. Having said that there's, there are certain ones where I've literally seen very interesting effects show up pretty quickly. And those would be the pineal gland bioregulator. So that is epitilon. And if there's one bioregulator that more people have heard of, not going to say everybody, but more people, it would be epitalon because it affects the pineal gland. And the wow factor on the pineal gland bioregulator, going back to our conversation when we first started this podcast, is that one of its superpowers is that it seems to have the ability to activate telomerase. And telomerase is the enzyme that prevents the shortening of telomeres on the ends of your DNA. So, if we can help to protect those telomeres, then we're in good shape to enable our DNA to have kind of like a longer lifespan, right? Now, it doesn't mean you're going to live longer. The the, you know, as much as the person who discovered telomeres won a Nobel Prize and people were very very hopeful that just through telomeres we could extend lifespan and health span in the whole nine yards turns out that certainly having longer telomeres is better than having super short telomeres but the jury is still out on how impactful they are in the short term right so for example when you look at a bunch of centenarians or there was a study where they looked at a number of centenarians and they noticed that yes they had longer telomeres than than average right that, so they had telomere length consistent with that of let's say a middle-aged person and yet two weeks before they died, the telomeres just shortened right up. Oh, and so maybe what we don't know is did they die because the telomeres shortened or did the telomeres shorten because they were dying? Like it's a very, it's a, it's a very chicken or the egg kind of thing. But again, right. longer telomeres is better. The other superpower of epitolon. And I will tell you that epitolon is my, I call it my desert Island bioregulator. If I could only have yeah. one, <laughs> It would be that because not only does it affect telomerase positively, but it also it's, it's the master endocrine regulator. So it's, it's really important for the entire endocrine system. And so it often will provide the underpinning of almost any protocol that people will, will run using bioregulators. The third thing is that it resets your circadian cycle. And so apitalone can be really helpful for people who've got massive sleep issues. Mm-hmm. Now what I'd say is you've got to be doing the work. Right? So yeah. you can't just take on and think, "Oh my god, this is like a sleeping pill. I'm going to sleep like a baby." Yeah. If you're going to use on and you want to affect your your you want to restore your circadian cycle, then you got to work to restore your circadian cycle. That means you're going to get up in the morning and you're going to see the natural light. You're going to stop wearing sunglasses during the day, unless you're driving into the sunset, you're going to try and get away from artificial light at night. Like you're going to do all You're not going to eat an hour before bed or two hours before bed. Ideally for the love of God, you're going to not watch the news before as you're falling. asleep. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right. So you're going to do, you're going to establish good sleep hygiene. And now you're going to bring in this, this player, you may still use melatonin, although it does normalize melatonin production, it was Mm -hmm. shown normalize melatonin production in elderly adults. It will help to do that, but you're going to have to kind of lean into that work because this is what you're trying to establish. I'll give you another example of a young woman who I work with who hadn't had a cycle for, I mean, I think she said almost a year. And she using Epitalon for a while. And then she added the ovary there's a bioregulator for the ovaries bioregulator actually works on the ovaries and in her case her cycle came back within a month now she had been doing everything else so i'm not saying to all your amenorrheic listeners that go run out and buy a piddle on an, the ovary bioregulator and your problems will be solved right but it's just to say that if you've if you've prepared the terrain properly and you've kind of you're doing all the things right Sometimes these things are just the trigger that's needed. They're the last piece of the puzzle that the body needs to kind
0: of do the work. Love it. And, and the cool thing about bioregulators too is you don't have to do them every day. It really is usually like a short stint. So Epitolon is, it's like 10 milligram. You can correct me if I'm wrong. 10 milligrams a day for five to 10 days. And then you take a break and you do that twice a year.
1: So it depends, you know. It really depends. So, the the protocol that you're speaking to is a protocol that's been touted online for a long time for the synthetic bioregulator. Last fall, I think it was Jean-François Tremblay from CanLab Mm -hmm. came with a podcast with me and started talking about how actually the literature was misinterpreted was not translated properly for synthetic bioregulators is a hundred micrograms a day. And people were using 10 milligrams a day, which is to the power of what, a hundred or something? Like I mean, it's just huge. Now the good news is that this speaks very much to the safety profile of bioregulators, which is that it seems that you can't overdo them. Right. So know that they've been studied in Russia for about 40 years. So These They sound new to us, but they're not particularly new. But to go back to your statement about how often to use them, so the 30 days or 20 days, whatever it is, twice a year would be for someone who's in a really good place, and they're just looking to give their body a nice little reminder or boost twice a year to, to maintain, right? Okay. For people who are trying to actively reverse their biological age or doing work, let's say trying to restore balance where balance has been lost, you might be using a bioregulator for an initial 30-day period if you're using the oral bioregulator or 20 days if you're using the synthetic. And then you might do 10-day cycles for a few months after that until you start to reestablish your get back to that balance state. And maybe the last point I'll make on the bioregulators before we move on, because I mean, we could talk about bioregulators really for a really long time. But the last point I think that's really important for people to understand is they're rarely used in isolation. They're often used, they're most often used in stacks. And the most foundational stack, I would say, if somebody was only going to do three bioregulators, they would use Epidilon, which, as I said, is the Desert Island bioregulator. Yep. They probably use the blood vessel bioregulator because we know that circulation is so critical to everything in the body, right? Mm-hmm. So anything that's gonna to help to restore the health of our vascular system is going to be bond. So mm-hmm. we use the, the blood vessel bioregulator and the third one is the thymus bioregulator, which of course is the seat of your immunity. And so we've now hit three major areas And if so, if we were only gonna do three bioregulators, those would be the three we would hit on. And then after that, there's about another 18. You've got bioregulators for the kidneys, for the pancreas, for the liver, for the adrenal glands, the thyroid we've talked about. There's a bone marrow bioregulator, there's for muscle. I'm forgetting some big ones here. Eyes, there's an eye bioregulator. Uh, There's a couple of different brain ones, nervous system, Heart. Wow. Yeah, How did I forget the heart? Really? You know, I mean I,
0: you know, ovaries, testes, prostate, all all the bits and bobs, really. I had no yeah. idea there were that many. That's that's crazy. Okay. Yeah. I need to do more research here. Yeah. That's that's amazing. And like I said in the beginning, I really believe that bioregulators and peptides are going to well, okay, I believe that they can move to the forefront of medicine and and medical treatment and take the place of some medications. But we also know that drug companies aren't going to let that happen. So we'll just tell you about it and you guys can implement it yourself. Yeah. So those are fascinating. I need to deep dive further. And you guys, if you're listening and you're like, I really want to learn more. That is where you go to Nat's podcast and the Facebook group because her Facebook group, I'll go there. And if I want to look up a specific peptide Mm -hmm or a bioregulator, I'll type it in the search bar. And I mean, y- you guys have had at least like 10 different threads and conversations on that particular peptide or bioregulator and it's all there and the information's there. So I love it. I love your Facebook group, love it. Thank
1: you. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing, I have to say. I mean, it's it's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears over the last couple of years. But, yeah. but one thing to say is if people join the Facebook group And I know people don't like getting their their email or joining newsletters. I mean, I'm pretty respectful with my newsletter. It comes out every two weeks. The odd time you might get another one or two, but you know, we are there because Facebook allows us to be there right now. I don't know Mm -hmm. how much longer we're going to be allowed to be there because definitely we're having conversations that are not in keeping or in step with the powers that be. So You know, I am going to end up getting to the point where I'm going to have to start a group on another platform and people will probably have to pay a small amount of money to be a member just because the platform will cost me money, but it will allow us to have dialogue in a much freer way. You know, as you mentioned earlier, there's the peptide course that's coming out at some point, which will be, you know, it'll really be, you know, like a citizen scientist kind of guide to help people to get a grounding in peptides. And that'll, that, that'll be the purpose of that course. It's not, you know, it's not your A4M certification or anything like that. If, if you're a practitioner and you want to
0: go deep, that's where you go. <laughs> right, right. But no, that's what people need though, because the general public needs that, that basic guidance on peptides, that basic guidance on bioregulators and how they can implement it just like you're doing, how they can implement it into their day-to-day life to really make a change in their health and longevity and how they feel and how they yeah. feel. Uh, peptides. The fat loss ones, if I don't start there, my community is going to hate me. So fat loss peptides, let's just talk about them. I'll tell you, I, u- I have used ipamorelin. I've used ipamorelin and CJC1295. I've used uh, GHRP2. I have not used semaglutide yet, but I have a patient using it now who's getting a lot of nausea. So we're actually referring back to your group and seeing what people are saying, I'm like, oh, you might want to go down in the dose and then hold that. And then we, you might want to go up in the dose too. So let's talk about the fat loss
1: peptides. For sure. So so the first few that you mentioned, the CJC1295, the ipamorelin, uh, the GHRP2 and GH... So GHRP2, GHRP6 are kind of like first generation. These are all growth hormone secretagogues. So what these peptides do is they stimulate the body's production of growth hormone. Now these are really interesting peptides right because if you can restore your growth hormone levels to where they were when you were younger to begin with massive anti-aging benefits great Mm -hmm. for the skin great for the brain actually really good to restore function to the thymus gland believe it or not and also supports lean mass and supports fat loss Now, before everybody runs out and goes to buy them there's a few caveats number one they seem to work much better for some people than for others. Like some people are high responders. You'll see that in the group. Like there's people who are like, oh my God, I've used this for a month. My belly fat's gone down. I'm leaner. I'm cut. Everything's amazing. And then you get Mm -hmm. other people using it who are like, I got nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Or then you get people like me who break out into hives. So (sighs) So, which I'm really annoyed about because just if only for the, for the anti-aging benefits, I think the growth hormone secretagogues are amazing. Mm -hmm. And in addition to the fat loss. So you kind of have to, you have to try them out. Maybe a couple of caveats. If someone has active cancer, of course, we're not going to want to stimulate the release of more growth hormone. So that's something to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. The way that we, we also know the growth hormone is a double-edged sword. Too little is no good because we can't repair and restore too much and it's gonna age us faster, Mm -hmm. right? It'd be pro-aging at too high a level for growth hormone. So the the problem is the growth hormone is really hard to measure. What we do is the best analog that we can find for growth hormone, as you know, is Mm IGF-1. And so it's a good idea to work with a practitioner And to keep an eye on those IGF 1 levels. And when they start to creep up a little too high, you're going to want to back off, take a break. I would say that for all these peptides, cycling them is key. Yeah. Cycling is key. And so, and people will say, well, oh, the other effect of growth hormone secretagogues that people really get very attached to is they're really good for sleep.
0: Sleep. Yeah.
1: And so, and it's funny because if you sleep better, then your blood sugar is steadier the next day. And then Mm -hmm. you don't eat as much junk or your blood sugar doesn't go as sky high as it would have otherwise. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of reasons why they help to support better body composition. Mm -hmm. But you've just got to be mindful. Watch those IGF-1 levels. I typically will say to people, you can use them maybe for 8 to 12 weeks and then take a break. It's a good idea to know what your IGF-1 levels are as a baseline. And then to take the to re measure them after the 12 weeks. There's literature that says that they'll they'll take people off the growth hormone secretagogues and they'll see those IGF one levels stay pretty steady for a month or two months. You know, don't get too attached to them. There's a lot right. of practitioners that would advise using them five days on and taking two days off a week. And that's mm-hmm. primarily the receptors a break so that they don't get kind of desensitized if you will. That right. desensitization of receptors though is more prevalent with some of the first generation bioregulators the CJC ipemarelin it's a little less but still I think in it is a, it's a good idea and it's to be cautious and to go 5 and 2 and to probably after 12 weeks get a get a measure on that IGF1 to
0: make sure you're not pushing too hard. And if you ask your doctor for IGF1 you're going to get just the weirdest expression ever because they're not going to have a clue unless they're a specialist. So just go get it yourself. Go to Alta Labs if you're in a state that can do Alta. Um, I know Canada, it's kind of hard to get tests for yourself. I know, I know you can go private, right?
1: Yeah, uh, you can go private. We've, you know, Vibrant Labs, I think, is going to be starting to operate here, and they'll be that'll be an interesting game when they, when they launch in Canada, like they're just kind of revving up their machine. I had a call with them last week. So the, the options are, are coming up and you know, there are doctors and naturopaths here who are more open-minded. And so if you can find someone, then definitely they'll be able to help you out. So anyway, so we're a little, AOD 9604 is another growth hormone secretagogue that a lot of people talk about for fat loss and okay. AOD stands for, stands for anti-obesity drug. And so you would think it, but the problem with AOD is it works really well on bunnies and it doesn't work that well on humans. It works on about half the people. Okay. So it's it's a really interesting peptide. What's cool about AOD 9604 is that at some point, somebody figured out that if you take AOD 9604 and mix it with hyaluronic acid and you inject it into a joint that is, that's injured Mm -hmm. under imaging in a doctor's office, by the way, This is not do-it-yourself-at-home kind of business. Right. Right. (laughs) It helps to restore collagen. It seems to help restore collagen. And certainly to reduce pain and restore function. So Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that I I can't come out and say it regrows collagen, but it seems to be very beneficial. On to semaglutide, which is Ozempic. So this Mm -hmm. is where Big Pharma has stepped in. So Big Pharma has their eye on peptides. Like, let's not kid ourselves. Pharma smart. They're looking for things that work also. And semaglutide is a category of of peptide called a GLP-1 agonist. So GLP-1 is something that is secreted naturally in your gut when you eat. The problem is it's gone within 20 seconds, like very, very short half-life. And Mm -hmm. what the company, the drug company did who created Ozempic, and there's another version of it called Wagovi, I think, is that they managed to extend the half life of that GLP-1 agonist to like four or five days. So now all of a sudden we have a compound that that has a half-life of like most of a week and that has massive effects both on the brain and on the gut. And so on the brain, it affects your satiety centers positively, it reduces your cravings for food, it reduces your appetite altogether, it increases your resting metabolic rate, so your burn rate. Mm-hmm. On the gut level, it helps to slow down gastric emptying, which means you stay, you physically stay fuller faster, but it also has benefits for the heart, it has benefits for the kidneys, it has benefits for the lungs, it helps to improve your insulin sensitivity, it helps to improve the transport of glucose into skeletal muscles, so over time, it's great for exercise. It's really good for the brain. It's being studied right now for Alzheimer's. So, like, it's got massive, massive benefits. The bad news <laughs> is that it's really expensive. So, you need to be able to get it with, a, like, get your, um, your insurance company, hopefully, to cover it for you. And there are, so there's a couple of black box warnings, which we can talk about. And there are definitely some people that don't respond to it that well. The black box warnings are that in a small number of people, it can trigger pancreatitis, which is a very painful, miserable condition. Mm-hmm. So there's no there's no real way to kind of get around that. It's kind of like one of these things that you that people need to be aware of that can happen. And if you get pancreatitis, you will know. It'll basically feel like you've got a hot knife running through your gut. Like it's there's no ifs ands or buts about it. I've heard in my group which as you know, is a significant number of people, I've heard of maybe two people having it. So it's, okay. it's a thing. Okay, very low. Okay? It is, it, it's very low, but it can happen. The second black box warning is for a very specific type of cancer of the thyroid, which is medullary thyroid cancer. Now it's only been observed in rats. It's never been seen in humans as of yet. I asked somebody once why they thought that might be, and his it's just a theory. His theory was that he believes, and you might know this, that rats have a much higher density of GLP-1 receptors on the thyroid gland than humans. And so for whatever reason, it was having a higher impact on the thyroid than it would in a human being.
0: Okay. Then that would make sense that they would take it up and then, yeah, it would trigger cancer.
1: So definitely anybody who has a history of thyroid cancer would never, 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 never use Ozempic or semaglutide for the rest of us. It's a really interesting peptide. So, you know, you alluded earlier that you know people get really nauseous. Mm-hmm. One of the offsets for nausea, number one, is to make sure that your B12 levels are optimized. So there's a lot of compounding pharmacies who are making semaglutide these days, and they're compounding it with vitamin B12, and that seems to help. The other thing is to start your dosing very low and very gradually build it up. The maximum dose they used for obese subjects. In research was 2.4 milligrams a week. Mm -hmm. I've seen people get really great results at 0.25 or half a milligram a week. Yeah. So, you know, especially when you're talking about someone who just has, let's say
0: 10 or 15 or 20 pounds to lose, they often Mm -hmm. don't go to the super high dosages. Right. Right. Okay. Now that makes sense. And then you can increase and decrease your dose even now, I saw in your group too, sometimes increasing the dose will also ease that nauseated, kind of empty belly feeling as well.
1: I must have missed that comment entirely. I have, For me, typically, if somebody's nauseous, my suggestion to them is to reduce the dose because, and then okay. lower dose for a while and then titrate back up again. Sometimes, okay. well, what they'll sometimes do is they'll split the dose and and use half on a Friday and the other half on a Wednesday. I don't know, what I don't know about that, that is not something that's generally discussed by the drug company. And I'm not sure that that might not have a more negative, like it may not speed up the next thing that happens, which is that the receptors start to not respond as much after a while. So what people notice is that initially the appetite suppression is very pronounced. Like Mm -hmm. they really have like no appetite, right? And so you want to hit that point where your appetite is low, but you're not nauseous, right? So right. there's that sweet spot. But over time, the appetite will come back. But what seems to still be remain in effect is all the other brain stuff that's going on, which is you don't eat as much and your resting me- metabolic rate is still upregulated, right? What I think is really important with semaglutide that people really need to lean into is when you're working, if you're using Ozempic, use this time to rebuild your diet. Use this time to build better eating habits, to build in better lifestyle habits so that when the appetite comes back, you're now re-educated on what you're eating and how much you're, you know what I mean? Like yeah. build better habits now when you don't have that crazy drive for Doritos and tacos every day. Right. And, you know, because the other thing that can happen with something like semaglutide is that people realize that, Hey, like I can have cupcakes and I'm not going to get fat. But the pr- um, problem is that because they don't have that much of an appetite, that's all they're eating. Right. And so, right. And so that's where you could get into a situation where you become protein deficient or your thyroid could take a hit because your mm-hmm. nutrient density is not there. You start yep. to lose your hair because you're not getting enough protein. Yep. And that's a whole other set of problems.
0: That's why, that's funny. Cause that was a conversation between my patient and I that, that we started her on it was, well, wait a minute, I'm not that hungry. And I'm like, well, number one, you're just in the beginning. So if you have a, you know, a few days to a week where your overall caloric intake and your protein intake is lower, okay. But in time, then you have, to, you have to force the protein down. Like whether you're hungry or not, you have to get it in so that you don't go into starvation mode and that you're not protein deficient. And then that starts affecting everything else. So I'm glad you said that just to lay that on the table for people if they decide to go that route.
1: Yeah. Another good tool for that is, I mean, and it's a hack and it's temporary because it's not perfect, but essential amino acids can really help people who really don't have the appetite. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I would say eat your protein first with some, a little bit of healthy fat and then get some greens in, like get your, get your veggies in, get the fiber, that kind of stuff. Because one of the other side effects, certainly of Ozempic is it can make people constipated.
0: Ah, Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's and a lot of my people already have constipation. So yeah, we don't want that. Is there another peptide that we need in the, well, there's probably a ton. I mean, we could do like a two hour podcast on this, but in, that you really want to mention in the fat loss category. And I kind of want to touch on gut too, because gut yep. and thyroid, immune and thyroid, everything just goes yeah. together, especially with Hashimoto's. Yeah. For sure. So so
1: there's a new kid on the block. Okay. New kid got
0: released in May and it's okay. called
1: Terzepatide. And terzepatide is a G1P and a GLP-1 agonist, so okay. it's dual incretin because those are incretin hormones, I guess. And Terzepatide seems to be really effective for people who don't respond to semaglutide. It has far less of the gut problems, and like I, I was actually had a call with a clinician yesterday who has, who's been working with it with clients for, since May because mm-hmm. he was literally. It's almost like he was camped out outside the the office saying, is it released yet? Is it released yet? How about now? Is it released yet? Can I I have some? How about now? Um, It was so funny. I got an email from him the minute it was released. He was like, like, that's awesome. Yay. But it seems to have a lot of promise. Now, again, it's, you know, they've been studying it for a couple of years. So it's not like there's no data behind it but from a clinical perspective on the street, it's only been around for about five months, but definitely the initial feeling is that it is a beautiful option.
0: Okay. I like it. That's exciting. I'm going to have to dive into that. Read up on it. Yeah. yeah. Without the There's nausea all that kind of stuff. Beautiful. Is he seeing results? Do you know did he say that he's actually, you know, noticing weight loss with his yeah, people that going so, on? Yeah.
1: So we, we had a common client. Like I, I, collaborated with him on a client for a while and now she's just working with him because he's he's a doctor but um she had she had completely plateaued on the semaglutide like nothing was moving
0: mm-hmm. she
1: switched over to his she dropped another 15 to 20 pounds like, okay It just came right off
0: beautiful so it's pretty uh it's pretty impactful oh i love it i love it i'm going to insert this now because i fear that i'm going to forget it at the very end when we're wrapping things up and this is more for saving my ass. Everybody is going to ask, "Where can I get peptides? Are they prescribed? How do I do it? How do I reconstitute it? How do I use this thing? It's in a powder." That is an area that I don't know. Do you want to explain this Nat? Because I sometimes get into I'm like, "Okay, listen. There's there's doctors that can prescribe peptides, and then there are research peptide facilities." All of us, all the people in our space, we buy it from the research facilities. And I want you to actually tell the one that you like. I love Jean-Claude but I didn't say his name right. It's very French, but <laughs> I need to get that French accent when I when I say his name. But he is freaking genius. And he has his own peptide research lab, place that you can buy, can labs. And I know you have an affiliate code too. So I want you to tell them a little bit more about that area of peptides, and then we'll jump to the gut. For sure. So, yeah, so, so number one,
1: I would say that every day that passes, there are more doctors and functional medicine doctors that are jumping on board. Mm -hmm. So there's definitely, you know, I interviewed a guy last week, a neurologist, he came across BPC 157, which we're going to talk about shortly, you know, instead of, you know, there's two kinds of doctors in the world right now, you got the docs that hear about peptides and are like, yeah, whatever, you know, no time, didn't learn about it in med school. I don't have the time, space, or bandwidth to go there. I'm not not going there. And then you get other doctors who are kind of like, wait, what? (laughs) What did you you say? Yeah, What what did it do? And so those guys are just diving in headfirst. So know that there are an increasing number of really qualified doctors, nurse practitioners, uh, naturopaths who are really kind of delving into peptides. I mean, people like you, Amy, I mean, at the end of the day, you heard about peptides and you're like, okay, I'm going to educate myself and see yep. how I leverage this in my practice. So that's number one. Number two, we, we mentioned, I don't know that we came out and said it. I am not a doctor, right? So what you're getting here is the biohacker citizen scientist, health coaches point of view of this stuff. A lot of it I've learned from a lot of these other medical doctors. I did a certification course with a peer on way back and I will, you know, most likely be doing my A4M in the next little while. Like, I mean, but to some degree, I don't prescribe peptides. And so this podcast is for information purposes only. Exactly. Like, they, yeah. like, exactly. So you know this, like, and when it comes to people who've got serious health conditions, and I know that there's a reasonable chance that peptides can help them, I'm sitting. I'm like a referral machine. I'm sending them out to the docs and the nurse practitioners and the naturopaths that I know who can really sit down and lean into this because when we're getting into disease states, it's complex, right? There's lots mm-hmm. of mechanisms of at play, and you will notice in my group the question. One of the questions that comes up the most often is, "Is there a peptide for fill in the blank?" Yeah. Right? And my answer is almost always. You will not find the peptide four until you understand why, right? Is this just a symptom or is this a root cause? Because until mm-hmm. you get, dial it back and you get to understand why is this problem showing up, we can't know if a peptide is going to help. The peptide that might break the rule here a little bit is, I think, the one that you want to talk about next anyway. Yeah. Oh, and I actually, no, wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll go back to that. You asked about the research labs and where to get peptides. So, yeah. Yes. My favorite research lab and I'll tell you why is CanLab Sciences and I guess you'll put the link in the in the show notes and yep, there is a discount code people can use. Like people in my group use it. It is an affiliate code. It's OSP15. That lab to me stands head and shoulders above the rest because I know that they're sourcing all of their starting materials from the, from the US mm-hmm. and every that they sell is synthesized in their lab by their biochemist who himself is a like full-on rock star. If they yeah. if you have rock star status for biochemists, this guy would be at the head of the pack. Like, yeah, he's amazing. There are other good quality research labs. I would stay away from anything that has the word swole in it or anything <laughs> that has really crazy graphics. Typically you're getting into a world where you can't tell what you're getting from looking at it. It's a blind item. Right. So there's been, there's been a lot of instances. Like I remember what the very, very beginning, when I got into peptides, when I started my group, I started it with another guy and he said, Nat, I just found BPC one five seven for six bucks a vial. I'm going to buy 30 vials. And I'm like, amazing. That sounds, let's do it. He went first and (laughs) 30 seconds. Of injecting himself, he was covered in hives. So we don't know what was in that vial. We don't know if it was contaminated BPC one five seven or if it was BPC one or if it wasn't even BPC one five seven. But the truth of the matter is, you've got to be very. If you're going to take matters into your own hands, which I'm not saying that you should, but if you did, you got to be really rigorous. You got to be smart. You got to, you know, get out there, ask people. If you get into a group like mine. I have a list of trusted peptide suppliers that I, that I support. The one that's not on that list is peptide sciences, which is in the U S mm-hmm. They're I will say they're pretty good, but I've also had people say to me that sometimes it can be uneven with them. So I don't think they've got a big lyophilizer in their office. I think that, you know, these guys are doing everything that they can to source good quality product, but they are sourcing it from other places. But oh yeah. Top- yeah. And then compounding pharmacies, of course, are getting into the peptide sphere. Right. Those will be able to access through practitioners. And those are always a great option, right? Definitely. I mean, they're regulated, they're clean. The problem that they're having is that the FDA is coming hard, pretty hard on them. And so there's certain peptides like thymusin alpha one and thymusin beta four, which is like, it's a crying shame that both yeah. of the peptides have been pulled off the list of what they're able to compound. Because they're powerful, really yeah. They're so, and there's so much good research. Like and alpha one, you can go on PubMed and Google and alpha one and the virus that has no name, and mm-hmm. you will clinical trials that they did in hospitals where it actually saved people's lives. Yep, hundred
0: percent. Sort of that whole question that you asked before. Beautiful, okay, absolutely good. perfect, absolutely okay. perfect. Yes. So yeah, and, and just to kind of spin off on what Nat naja just said. Yes, you can't even I have practitioners as part of my team that will prescribe peptides and it comes from a compounding pharmacy, but we are very limited in what can be prescribed because that's what the compounding pharmacy is allowed to. So that's where you sometimes do have to, and I'll do it one-on-one with patients, not to the public, but you do have to kind of step over here into the research labs. And use what they have. And when it comes from a really good source like hand labs, I feel a hundred percent comfortable. Yeah. Okay. BPC. I use this bad boy after surgery. So I did BPC, GHKCU, TB500. Gosh, should I do something else? There was something else in that stack too, but yeah. just you- amazing. Yeah. Did you use a growth yeah. hormone secret bug with that? I was using that anyways, like even pre, pre and post surgery. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so without the GHK, the BPC one five seven, I call it thymus and beta four, you call it T B five hundred, but whatever, those names are used interchangeably, yeah. even though they shouldn't be, but they are. And the growth hormone secretagog, so the CJC apparelin, those that stack is called a wolverine stack.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. So that stack is the superhuman healing kind of stack. And mm-hmm. it is it is remarkable. Right, so you've got the CJC epimerelin that is upregulating your growth hormone production, which of course we know you need to heal. We have mm-hmm. the BPC one five seven that's upregulating the expression of growth hormone receptors in the body. So now you've got the pituitary gland that's pitching out the growth hormone, and you've got the catchers mitts that are out there waiting to catch it. Mm-hmm. Pretty deal. That's exactly what we want. Then the thymosin beta four. At, like the BPC-1, like both of them have anti-inflammatory properties. Both of them have massive healing properties at a tissue level. They also will help with actual, they can help with, BPC-157 helps with pain, certainly mm-hmm. in the initial stages. Um, I myself had a small surgical procedure in June, and when the freezing wore off, I thought I was going to lose my mind. Like I couldn't believe the pain. Yeah. Yeah. I was using BPC one five seven. Like I was actually at that point, I was topically using BPC one five seven, GHK, and a fragment of thymus and beta four, mm-hmm. and it took about five hours, and I was fine. Yeah, it was the weirdest. It was the weirdest thing, Amy. I like couldn't believe how quickly that resolved. Now, it was a very small incision. I'm not saying that if you have something amputated, you can just pour this stuff on; and your pain's right. going to go away. But right. It it was to me, it was shocking, right? Now the stack that you described with the addition of GHK is a is also and why I use GHK is because where I had my incision, I was told it was going to scar really badly. And GHK can be really, really good at tissue remodeling. Mm-hmm. And, and so it can help to minimize scarring. And I would say that, you know, it's I'm not two months out yet, but the scar is it's minimal. Okay. It's a little red line and you know, there's a tiny bit of a ridge, but it's quite little. So I think it worked.
0: <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
1: So, but, but I mean, maybe dialing back to the BPC 157, because at some point people are going to have to go eat dinner and do stuff. So if, if Epidolon is my, is my desert island bioregulator, BPC 157 is my desert island peptide. Yep. Some people would pick TB4. I would too, except I don't react well to TB4. I get hives from TB4, just like I get hives from CCC. Oh, yeah. To All the good stuff, man. All the good stuff. I know, but I have BPC. Okay. So what? I have BPC-157, GHKCU. I'm, I'm still good. So BPC-157, I call the Swiss Army knife of peptides. You've got neurologists, like my guest last week, who are using it to heal nerves. Mm -hmm. you've got it is a magician at healing the gut
0: yeah
1: so people with leaky gut now there is again there's a new kid in town on the gut healing front and that's called lorazotide which is another peptide but it's harder to find bpc157 really beautiful at helping to heal those tight junctions which is such a big issue with people with thyroid issues right you've got leaky gut things are passing through that shouldn't immune system goes into overdrive, bad things start to happen. It's also great for the brain. It's great for the nervous system. It's great to reduce inflammation. They did studies where they gave BPC-157 to animals that were also getting steroids, like corticosteroids. Mm-hmm. And the BPC-157 protected them from the negative effects of the steroids. Nice. It also can help when people are taking incense and it can help heal from alcohol. BPC157 also seems to have a lot of benefits and protective effects for the heart, for the kidneys, for the pancreas, for the liver. So it's organoprotective is the term that will be used. I know that as part of a protocol it can be help with kidney disease. So it can help people pull pull people back from CKD before it gets too far. But again, got to be part of a full blown protocol. You're not just going to I mean, there are people that say they've only used BPC-157. I would say, you know what? Work with a practitioner, go in and and really go at what's happening in the kidney, what's driving the dysfunction and a yeah. holistic approach to it, right? And then, um, I don't know if I've, I mean, I'm sure I've left stuff out because BPC-157, like GHK, you go into PubMed, you type it in and like, pff, it, it's amazing. Like,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's amazing. So it can be injected and you can inject it sub-Q, but near the site of the injury. So of course it's going to be systemic and it's going to have a full body effect, but let's say you did have an acute injury, like you, I don't know, let's say you uh, hurt your elbow or something at the gym. I mean, you can, you don't, again, not into the joint, but you can inject it under the skin sub-Q near that area of injury and it will kind of help that out a little bit more than as opposed to injecting it, let's say in your belly, but you can also take BPC-157 orally. Now, what are your thoughts on that? Is it as effective when taken in a capsule form? Um, It's different. I think, so. so two things. A guy like Jean-Francois will dispute
1: that you need to go close to the joint because he believes it's gonna go systemic anyway. But the caveat to that is you will find legions of people in my Facebook group who dispute that. They say that they will go- get as close to the injury as they can get safely without having imaging and the whole thing, and they yep. believe it really does give them a better result. So I'm like, you know what? If if you're if you can get into that, and I know that um, Stephen Barrett, the neurologist that I interviewed last week, he mm-hmm. has injected into ligaments that were damaged and okay. seen generation. Now mm-hmm. he's under coaching, he's a doctor, like, you know, I don't want people going around poking their ligaments and their tendons and God knows what else. But getting into the belly of the muscle on a on a tear can be really, really powerful for healing. I also know yeah. of chiropractors that will inject into trigger points to help the muscle oh. to release because it's also anti spasmodic, right? So and there's the analgesic effect. Now, BPC157 also will freak people out a little bit because it does have angiogenic properties. So, angiogenesis means that you're getting an inc- it facilitates an increase in the formation of blood vessels to the site of the injury. But when you talk about it, when you mention angiogenesis to, to a lot of doctors, they're like, "Well, wait a minute. That's how tumors work." Tumors have a way of increasing blood flow to themselves. So they get all freaked out. And I will say that this is not resolved. The belief, certainly with a lot of people who work with BPC-157 a lot, is that that should not be an issue. But once again, we don't have full clarity on it. And certainly if somebody has an active cancer, you don't want to go shot on this one. And and I would say anybody with a, with a serious illness wants to be working with a doctor who knows their shit on this stuff. Sorry about the Definitely. bad word, but... You've okay. got to work with who, who, who knows what they're doing and understands the disease process, so that they can be sure that what you're, whatever it is you're introducing, is not somehow driving the disease process that it's going the other way. I, you know. Now back to the BPC one five seven. It can be used topically. There are companies that make a topical cream with it. It is very powerful topically on open wounds and on burns. There's there's a whole slew of studies on burns that is like will blow your mind on BPC 157 and, and have you scratching your head wondering why it's not standard of care in burn units all over the world. You know, like you've got someone who's got like a lot of burns at some level you know they need let's help. try everything. Like what do we have to lose right? Yeah. And I mean the problem is they've got their protocols and they've got their standard of care procedures, but Anyway, maybe there's somebody out there studying it on humans. I don't know. I, I should be, we need to be fair about these things, but it can be, so it can be used topically both out of the vial and, or with a cream, it can be used intranasally. In some cases, some people find it great intranasally mm-hmm. your point. It can be used systemically, just, just with a subcutaneous injection into belly fat or in the hip or in the top of the thigh. Like there's lots of different places that people can inject And that will kind of take care of everything. The oral administration usually is leaned into by practitioners for gut issues. And there's a couple of providers now that have they've got a fast release formula that will will kind of release in the upper GI tract. And then they have a slow release formula to get lower down the GI tract. There are some really interesting case studies, both human and animal, for Crohn's and colitis for BPC-157, helping to put people into remission.
0: I like it. Wow. That could be a
1: whole new. It's a whole new. Yeah. So, so that's the oral, but I will tell you that I've seen people taking it orally for their gut issues who notice that their back stops hurting or their (sighs) knees hurting or, you know, this shoulder thing I had just seems to have resolved. So like in everything else, there are people who are fast responders and slow responders Mm -hmm. and maybe it has to do with how much other stuff is going on. Like there's only so much to go around the body is going to have a hierarchy of needs that it's going to take care of. So it probably won't take care of your sore shoulder if your gut's a mess. Not okay. that it doesn't to, but just it only has so many resources at any given one time. So the question your question was, I will tell you that I've seen people use the oral BPC and have really nice results for certain types of musculoskeletal issues. Typically, though for musculoskeletal, people will do
0: better and need less peptide. If they're using it subcutaneously. Yeah. And, and it just, it it protects it. I mean, you have the whole stomach acid and breakdown. And like you said, if if it's specifically designed for upper GI or lower GI and and you're getting it from that, I guess it would be a compounding pharmacy or that practitioner that designed it, fine. But if you're just buying it online and it's the oral form, you're probably going to get more bang for your buck sub Q doing the injectable.
1: Yeah, I mean you're gonna get more bang for your buck sub Q no matter what. The the interesting thing about BPC one five seven, like the oral forms of BPC that are out there right now are really there's a couple of really good ones. And they're on that provider sheet in my group. And pretty soon they're gonna be on my website too. But BPC one five seven gets a buy in the gut. It doesn't get broken down. Okay. Yep. And the reason for that, well, I mean, I don't know the actual reason for that, but one of the things to keep in mind about BPC-157 is it is a na- it, this is a fragment of a naturally occurring protein in your gut. This isn't something that somebody dreamed up in a lab. This yeah. is something isolated from an already existing protein in your gut. They just kind of, it's almost like they pulled out the the, the functional piece of it and isolated it and said, well, what happens if we just use this and realize that when we just use this, it has that affinity for the receptors and it just goes right at it.
0: That's a beautiful thing. Oh my gosh. Natalie, you have provided so much information today. I really feel like, again, just like when I was on your, like we can go for another hour, but we can't. Yeah. So I just have to have you back on and we can keep going with all the different peptides and all your knowledge. You're going to probably see like a 50,000 person uptick in your group, but <laughs> we'll see what happens there. How many this people a great look great to I- me? Am I allowed to mention my women's retreat? (laughs) Oh my gosh, please. Because I'm so excited for your peptide course. So everybody has to go to her website and you have a sign up where they're going to get notified about the peptide course. And then, yeah, please talk about your women's retreat.
1: Yeah. So also if you sign up on my website for the next little while, there'll be a 10% discount on whatever the course costs. The women's retreat I have happening in November. And that is a five-day retreat in Cabarete, which is on the North shore of the Dominican Republic. And it's a longevity and resilience retreat. And so before the women come down, we everybody gets a biostrap, Everybody gets their true diagnostic test done. Everybody gets a genetic test done. And we spend five days deep diving into personalized nutrition, supplementation, movement, exercise, sleep optimization all the things we do sunrise walks. We can go to yoga. We do um, we have practitioners coming in, doing amazing body work. And we talk about peptides. Yeah. We have private chefs, like the whole nine yards. So we have a few spots left. So if anybody's really interested and wants to like, you know, basically pick my brain for five days. Yeah. <laughs> because... A level of health. Yeah. So they they can find out more about the retreat on my website. There's a little retreat tab at the top and just click on that and you'll get some information
0: beautiful well we'll post all that in the show notes all that in the show notes natalie thank you so much for your time today thank you for your knowledge thank you for your 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 podcast and your facebook group because i really feel without it we'd be swimming we'd just be floundering with you know the studies and this podcast over here and just random articles so thank you so much well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being a guest
1: on my podcast. You guys are going to have to check out Amy's podcast on my podcast. I mean, you know, you talk to her all the time, but I just <laughs> love my conversations. So, you know, so we'll just fun. keep
0: doing this podcast bounce thing for a while. <laughs> we absolutely will. We absolutely will. All right, Nally, so- thank you again. Thank we'll you. We'll talk to you soon. All right.